The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. All right, if you have a Bible, we're going to be in Matthew 27. Uh, We have been working through um, the book of Matthew together, and um, this uh, week we are picking up in the middle of what's called the Passion of, of Jesus, where... Um, and passion is not because it is something where he's super excited about it, right? But passion is out of the overflow of his heart for what God's doing. And so um, we are in the middle of that where Jesus in the previous chapter was betrayed and forsaken and left alone by all of his friends. And then um, he had a, a false trial. And then this morning we are going to be picking up in Matthew 27 uh, where Jesus ultimately is condemned, uh, and he is condemned to die. So what we're going to do is we're going to pray, and then we will read through these passages, this, this chapter together as we kind of work through the chapter together. So we're going to pray, and then we're going to look at this together. Father, as we look at this, um, actually would still our hearts and quiet our minds. And Father, I pray you would give us your spirit because we want to see Jesus for who he is, as the innocent king who dies for guilty people like us because of his great love to save us and free us from the power of sin, that we can be your sons and daughters. So we pray this with confidence in his name. Amen. I don't know if you guys know about the Innocence Project. The Innocence Project is, uh, if you go to innocenceproject.org, you can look up all these different stories of people who have... Um, primarily men, but some women, people who have been convicted of, uh, of a crime and then later found innocent, um, later discovered through, uh, through testimony or through um, DNA evidence or whatever, found innocent. So I just I threw pictures up on the screen here. Uh, you have Barnhouse, a guy named Barnhouse, 25 years in prison uh, before being released as innocent. Right, that's him on the left there in the blue coat. You have Kenny Brewer, 13 years before he was declared innocent. Angel, Angel Gonzalez, 20 years before he was... Re- Man, I don't know where that's at, but I want some of that, whatever he's doing. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I, that's why I'm saying, like, I want some of that. Randall Mills, 14 years. Here we go, Randall. There was 14 years. Timothy Bridges, he was 25 years in prison before he was uh, found innocent. Uh, a- Andrea um, Hatchett, 25 years. With the name like Hatchett. That might be a little bit... I wonder if you got to go to jail for that. But um, Michael Morton, 25 years. The last picture is John Molly or John Noley, who was released in 2015 after 19 years um, because he was released on actual evidence that he was innocent. Um, all of these men, there's others, other women as well, and that's in those and on that website. All of these people were released because they were found to be innocent. Innocence requires. A response. Innocence is not something you can just kind of let slide, right? If somebody's guilty, there's a response. But if somebody is innocent and called guilty, it requires a different type of response. And as we look through this chapter, Jesus is front to back seen to be innocent. He is, from front to back of this whole section, shown to be the innocent one that is going through a false trial to be found guilty despite being the most innocent man to walk the face of the earth. We, we see this, I'll point out some sections here, and then we'll kind of go through this together, but verse 2, Matthew 27, they bound him and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate the governor. 
right? They changed their story on why he was guilty. He was found guilty under one charge, and then they changed their story because they knew, well, he can't be put to death for that. And they changed the story so that he can be found guilty when they bring him to Rome. Verse 3 When Judas, his betrayer, saw Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned and betrayed innocent blood. So here we have on the lips of Judas, right, the most infamous of betrayers saying, the guy I betrayed, he's innocent. You have verse uh, 4, right, uh, I have sinned and betrayed innocent blood. We just read that. Sorry, I'm not keeping up with myself. Verse 6, but if the chief priest taking the pieces of silver... It is not lawful to put them into the treasury since it's blood money, right? This is like the mob bosses saying like, oh, that, that hit job that we paid for um, that we didn't call a hit job, we're recognizing that it's actually like blood money. Like they're actually confessing that they put some guy to death who was innocent. And verse 14, down here, we have verse 14, he gave him no answers, Jesus to Pilate, and not even, a single char- not even to a single charge so that the governor was greatly amazed. You see Jesus is even seen as innocent before the people who are going to condemn him to death. Verse 18, you have, for he knew, that is Pilate, who Jesus is going to be in front of, that it was out of envy that, he, that they had delivered Jesus up. Right? Pilate knew in this whole story, he knew that he knew the whole story was going on. Jesus was innocent, and that these guys were throwing him under the, under the mat, throwing him under the, the, uh, the wheel, so to speak, because they were envious of who Jesus was. In verse 19, you have this little story. Besides, while Pilate was sitting in the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him in a dream. Here's this dream saying, Jesus is innocent. And then verse 23 and 24 and 25, where we see that he, his innocent blood is taken on to the, the guilty people. See, uh, all through the story, just like these men that we saw these pictures of, Jesus is innocent, and yet he is condemned as guilty. And so, what is going? Why is Jesus being found innocent, being said to be innocent, and yet guilty? All through this passage, because here's the here's this core component. I thought about this as we're getting to the end of Matthew. That when we talk about the gospel story, that Jesus is the most innocent man ever to live, and dies a guilty death on our behalf so that he can rise victorious over Satan, sin, and death and give us new life. I've been amazed as we're looking through the end of Matthew how it's actually in the passage. <laughs> it's not something that we have to kind of like, well, Jesus was a good guy, and we want to give him the sympathy of the doubt. And he was, you know, he never cut anybody off in traffic, or never got cut off in traffic and said something nasty about them, right? We just assume that Jesus was like, you know, maybe he did kind of normal things like that. No, no, no. Jesus didn't do any of that. Jesus was found innocent and yet guilty. And we're seeing in this whole story how Jesus is the most innocent person and yet he dies a guilty death. So this is the main point. We, we try to keep this real simple. The main point of this passage is that Jesus innocently dies so that guilty people can confidently come to God. Or you might just say the innocent king dies for the guilty. And just like we were saying with the innocent project before, innocence requires a response as we're going to go through this, we're going to see just four responses of how to respond to Jesus' innocence. What are, what are examples of how, innocent, uh, how people respond to Jesus' innocence through this passage? And as we go through this, remember, this is not a sentimental story. This is a story that requires us to respond to who Jesus is. So what are the four ways? We're going to pick up in verse 1. We're going to read through verses 1 through 10. 
And we're going to see that we can miss him. How do we respond to Jesus' innocence? We can miss him, just like Judas. All right, Matthew 27, verses 1 through 10. When morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And they bound him and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate the governor. Then Judas, the betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned. He changed his mind and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned and betrayed innocent blood. They said, what is that, what is that to us? See to it yourself. <laughs> right? And throwing down the pieces of silver in the temple, he departed and went and hanged himself. And the chief priest, taking the pieces of silver, said, it's not lawful to put them into the treasury since it's, since it's blood money. So they took counsel and brought with them Bought with them, that's the 30 pieces of silver, is the potter's field as a burial place for strangers. Right there. So that's anybody who's visiting from out of town who dies while they're in Jerusalem. Therefore, that field has been called the field of blood to this day. That was to fulfill what had been spoken by the prophet Jeremiah, saying, and they took the 30 pieces of silver, the price of him who, uh, on whom a price had been set by some of the sons of Israel, and they gave them for the potter's field as the Lord directed so here is Judas, right? We talked about this the last couple of weeks. Judas, um, I'm not sure how many of you are familiar with him, but he was one of the 12 disciples. He was one of the inner posse of Jesus, right? He walked with Jesus for three years, and he had seen Jesus teach the most incredible things about the grace of God, do the most incredible miracles by raising people from the dead and feeding people with, like, right, breadcrumbs and fishes. He'd, he'd get made a whole meal for 15,000 people. He had seen all these things. People give generously to the kingdom of God and give in such a way that it was clearly sacrificial and being used to advance Jesus' mission. And yet Judas, at the end of the day, had not taken any of that, the glory, the goodness of Jesus, into his heart. He loved the money and power instead and was consumed by it in the end. You see, we, we see all through these stories where even like moments where Judas would have seen extravagant expressions of worship. We saw that a couple chapters ago where Jesus, where Judas is witnessing people giving extravagantly uh, to Jesus. And the Bible tells us that um, Judas' response, he said, uh, he said, she should have sold that extravagant expression of worship and given it to the poor because he, cared not, he didn't care about the poor because he was a thief. And having changed charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. You see, Judas, he liked the power that came with being around a religious leader. He, he liked the power of being around Jesus. But it had not gone into his heart. Right? We often, I don't know if you do this, but um, at times we can ourselves be hypocrites when we criticize others who have weaknesses and sins and do things differently than us. And kind of have this little this little shadow of Judas in our own hearts. We kind of sneer at the way other people do things that isn't exactly the way we would do it um, because we would prefer it done our own way. Judas hadn't just done that, but he had done it to this extent where he had been consumed by his um, misperception of Jesus. He, had, he was consumed by his desire for power and money. But the question, I think, maybe that maybe hangs over this, this passage is, Judas seems to have repented, right? You see see that, right? Verse 3, or verse 4, I have sinned and betrayed innocent blood. Is this Judas basically saying like, oh, like, I need to repent and come to Jesus? 
well, could Jesus, um, was Jesus, or was Judas repentant? That's the real question. I think what's going on here, and maybe you see this, um, I think you see this in sort of like, um, in the last few years you have like this, like the, the Me Too movement, and guys getting called to the mat on dirtbag things they've done, right? Um, often what I see in those situations is people are sorry that they've gotten caught, but they're not sorry for what they've done, right? They'll say, I'm sorry that you were hurt by what I chose to do rather than saying what I did was evil and wrong, right? So I think what Judas is doing here is saying, okay, I know who Jesus is and I've gotten caught in this whole situation of showing, of, of betraying him over, but he's not really sorry, right? I don't think that he is actually repentant of what's gone on. I have sinned and betrayed innocent blood. But Judas did not turn to Jesus, right? He could have said, I've sinned and done something wrong. And like the rest of the disciples, hang on every word of Jesus and look to him. But Judas turns inward, right? That's, that's ultimately what leads to his suicide. He turns on this inward track and turns to himself because he missed who Jesus was, right? The other question, not only is, Jesus, is Judas repentant, but could Jesus have forgiven him, right? Is, this is the question, right? Would Jesus have forgiven Judas if he had repented? I, I think we, could, we can throw these verses up here. Matthew 11, this is, Judas was around Jesus who said these very words. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Doesn't that sound like Judas? Heavy laden by his own guilt and conscience. I've, I've betrayed the Son of God. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus doesn't sound like a guy who's got a vendetta against other people. He doesn't even have a vendetta against Judas. Judas was there when Jesus said this, right? Judas was around. He heard the gracious offering of forgiveness and mercy from Jesus to people who were just mess up everything in their lives. I don't know about you, but that seems to kind of fit the mold for me. Somebody who just, I can't get my act together and I'll say one thing and I'm a hypocrite the next day, right? And I'm a pastor, man. I get paid to be a Christian, <laughs> you know? Like, and then you have Matthew 18. There's just a couple chapters before. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him, right? Okay, give me the measurement. How many times? How many times am I going to forgive him? As many as seven times, which was, you know, I don't know how many people in your life that you've having to forgive seven times. That's a lot. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. See, this is the Jesus that Judas betrayed. He was there. He heard Jesus say these things. And yet, when he's caught in the thick of it with his betrayal of Jesus, of, of his denying of Jesus' innocent, and then realizing that he's gotten caught, he doesn't go to this Jesus. He goes inward on himself. Right? We, we all have this temptation, too. When you get caught in your sin or you realize, I have just totally messed up and jacked up my life, right? don't go inward. Right? Don't go on this self-destructive path uh, or this neurotic kind of like eh, thing. Like I do that all the time. I just kind of get all caught up in my head. The call of Jesus in his innocence, come to me. I know who you are. I know what's gone on. I can help you. That's what Jesus wants but we can miss it, just like Judas. See, Judas missed Jesus because he had not taken the mercy of Jesus personally. Just a comment here is before we move forward, 
This brings up the whole category of suicide. I don't know how this has affected you personally, if it's somebody in your family, or maybe you have yourself thought about or attempted suicide. Um, suicide, some churches would teach that suicide automatically sends you to hell. Um, it's a violation of the sixth commandment, you shall not murder, which is true. But I do not think that suicide or our friends or family members that have committed suicide automatically go to hell because of that. It is a sin, yeah, but it is a weakness and it is a moment of deep darkness and despair that even Jesus himself can forgive. So just a comment, just to say, like, I don't think that we should read this and say, every person who commits suicide, just like Judas, goes straight to hell. Because Jesus himself can have weak sheep who in moments of deep darkness and despair and deep agony can do things that, that are horrible and have horrible effects upon the rest of our lives and yet still can be forgiven for those things. Because we don't want to miss who Jesus is. He is the innocent mercy giver of God as he's walking towards his cross. So we're going to pick up in verse 11. We're going to pick up... What is, what is the second way that we can respond to Jesus, right? What is the second way? We're going to look at Pilate in verse 11 to 24. And we're going to see the other, the second way we can uh, respond to Jesus' innocent is we can dodge Jesus. Verse 11, now Jesus stood before the governor and the governor asked him, are you the king of the Jews, right? Just as a comment, right? That, that phrase, the king of the Jews, is only used by non-Jews at the time because they were trying to, make a political statement. Are you the king of the Jews, right? right. Are you um, kind of like uh, during the Civil War, you had one president of the Union and you have one president of the South? Are you claiming to be the president of the rebellion? You know, I know all you Star Wars geeks are out there. <laughs> and Jesus said, you have said so. But when he accused, but he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate said to him, do you not hear many of the th uh, how many things they testify against you? But he gave him no answer, not even a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. See, you're already picking up on this innocence of Jesus. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And they had then a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, whom do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. Besides, while he was sitting in the judgment seat, his wife sent, to him, uh, sent word to him, have nothing to do, right? So this is like his wife texting him while he's on the, the judgment seat, right? Uh, have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. Now the chief priest and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor again said to them, which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, then what shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? They said to him, let him be crucified. And he said, why, what evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, let him be crucified. So here we have Pilate right in the middle of this story is, uh, he would have been the governor of the time. He would have been the guy who was in charge of that state, so to speak, or that, that county. And he had the power of the state to do whatever he wanted to keep the peace and to help maintain Roman control. And so here they have this guy coming forward. They're saying, this Jesus guy, he says he's the real governor of the world and that you need to submit to him. And so now he's got a political crisis on his hands, right? 
So not, not only do the Jews at the time not like that uh, Rome is, is banging down on them, but now they've got their king uh, that could cause a real problem. And so the way that Judah, or Pilate is trying to work through this, he can also tell, look, uh, this guy's really not, <laughs> he's really not the problem. Uh, these religious leaders are, and so here I'm going to call their bluff, and I'm going to have, uh, I'm going to release somebody for them, and we'll see if they'll, they'll pick Jesus, who's really innocent, or Barabbas, who is uh, a guilty, uh, a guilty guy. The the, st- the story in Barabbas is basically um, he was kind of seen as like a Robin Hood at the time, right? He probably would have been. Uh, the other gospel accounts tell us that he was he had led an insurrection, so that means that he had actually like taken up arms. <laughs> and was like trying to overthrow the Roman government. And he was actually like probably killed people along the way, probably uh, had killed Roman soldiers. So he was definitely not in favor with the Roman government at the time. Uh, But he was notorious with the people because he would have been like their Robin Hood. They would have been sympathetic to his his mission. Um, And then you have to ask this question, what happens with this crowd flipping, right? If you've ever, if you ever heard the story of Jesus, or you know the story of this book, of the book of Matthew, right? Jesus comes into Jerusalem, and everybody's like all excited. Yay, Jesus, you're the best. Hallelujah, the king's here. And then like four days later, they're all like, yeah, kill him. We hate that guy. <laughs> you know, like what's going on? So I think what was going on is that the original crowd that welcomed Jesus were all the people who were visiting for the holidays, right? People who were going down to Fenway Park. Yeah, we love the Sox. They're going to win the World Series. The best, Right? But all the locals are kind of like, oh, like all these people from out of town, like what are they doing here? The locals were the people who showed up at the trial of Jesus. The the out-of-towners were all the people who were uh, praising Jesus that he's coming into town. The locals were realizing if Jesus really is the king, we've got a real religious problem on our hands because we've got a Roman king that we kind of like this arrangement with. We don't like him, but he could cause a real problem. So I think that's what's going on with the crowd and Barabbas. But amidst all of this turmoil, Pilate has to wrestle with this question. What is he going to do? He can tell that Jesus is innocent, but he's trying to find political maneuvers to try to get out of it, right? Can, uh, can we just figure out how to realize that this testimony is false and let him go? Can we get Jesus to say something that shows that he's innocent and let him go? What about letting the people figure this out and they can let him go? And even his wife, bro, anybody who's married in this room knows, you listen to your wife, you know? <laughs> Bro's wife sends him a text, don't have anything to do with this guy, and he ignores it. Pilate, at every moment along the way, is dodging the innocence of Jesus. But I want to draw your attention to verse 19. Right? Remember this moment where his wife, we're calling it sending him a text, sitting at the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, have nothing to do with this righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. You see, this is, if you're following the story along, you can begin to ask the question, where is God in all of this? And this is the moment where God just reminds us, this is my story, this isn't a political event, this isn't something that just kind of like happens. This is God's story, right? Later on, actually just like a month and a half later, Peter, who's betrayed Jesus, says this in a sermon. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs, that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. 
See, this is the indication that this is God's plan. God's in control. God's the one who is prodding the story along. He is the one that has set the stage, and he is the one reminding Pilate and you, you cannot ignore God in this story. Right? This is not just a political thing or a story of interest. We must reckon with who Jesus is. These are, if anybody, if you, if you hear the testimony of anybody, we just did baptism a few weeks ago, actually more than a few weeks ago because it was cold, uh, like a month ago, or we're going to do membership soon. If you listen to anybody's story about how they came to Jesus, there are these God moments where it's clear that God is getting our attention. He's drawing us face to face with himself to reckon and to, to figure out and decide who is this Jesus. We can't just ignore him. And because this is God's world, he calls us shots. He continually gets, us, gets in our face and reminds us, you have to answer, who is Jesus? You have to engage with this question. You cannot dodge him. You see, if you're, a, if, you're, if you're not a Christian, or you're exploring Jesus, this is, the, this is the God that you have to engage with. Not a scary God, but a God who is engaging you and coming after you and will not let you go. He is intending to have you as a part of his family. But there's another side of the story as well. You see, Jesus is innocent and yet proclaimed by the authorities that he's guilty. And some of us, some of you, know what it's like to be innocent and falsely accused, don't you? You know what it's like to have that job review that was just total junk. You know what it's like to be in court with somebody saying totally dirtbag stuff against you that you know is a false lie. You know what it's like to have family members have perspectives of you that you know are just totally wrong. Right? You see, Jesus knows what it's like to be innocent and proclaimed guilty. The innocent king knows what it's like to be falsely judged. But see, this Jesus knows that ultimately he will establish justice. Right? We want, just so you know, if there's any abuse or anything like that going on, we want it to be reported. We want justice to be done. But for all the categories of our life, there are some times where even the state involvement will not ultimately bring true justice. And we look to a king who knows what it's like to be called guilty while he's innocent, who will himself establish justice one day. We look forward to that day. And so you have a king who knows what it's like to sit in your seat right now, to be innocent and yet found guilty. So we're going to pick up here, verse 25, this third category. We can condemn Jesus, right? How do we respond to Jesus? We can miss him like Judas, we can dodge him like Pilate, or we can condemn him like the crowd. Verse 25 to 26. Then Pilate saw that he was gathering nothing, but rather than a riot was beginning. He took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, this blood, his blood be on us and on our children. Then he released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. You see, this, uh, this innocence of Jesus is all through this passage, isn't it? Jesus is innocent and yet found guilty. And I just want to make a comment here. This moment, right, where they, um, we've been kind of making some kind of like parentheses comments, right, as we go along, but 
the, all the people answered his blood be on us and our children, verse 25. I just want to acknowledge that, that verse has been wildly misused and perverted through a lot of church history. The way that verse has been used, I don't know if anybody's familiar with this, this is one of the key verses used um, to oppress Jewish people, right? This is a key part of how Christians all through church history have oppressed Jews in our midst, right? Even great guys like Martin Luther, um, he was a dirtbag on this issue. Um, he used this verse uh, to oppress Jews, and that's where anti-Semitism comes from that ultimately led to the Nazi party, right? They were quoting from Martin Luther, like, hey, Martin Luther is a great reformer, and he hated Jews, so we hate Jews, right? So uh, just so you know, that's a dead wrong way of reading this passage. That's not what this point, the point of this passage is. The point of this passage is who's responsible for the innocent death of Jesus, right? That's the, that's the main point. Who is responsible? Um, and ultimately, it is the people, it is us who are responsible for the death of Jesus. Because see, they, they, they loved their religion. They loved how they could work their way into God's favor. They loved the way in which they could earn God's favor. They loved the way they could work off their guilty conscience. This is, this is still with us today, right? Um, our friends who are Buddhist, uh, Buddha's last words were, work hard to gain your salvation, right? Work hard to gain your salvation. Or if, you, um, if you're into, into fitness or weightlifting or training or anything like that, I've noticed that guys will refer to the squat rack, right, the power rack where, they, where you do all the heavy lifting. They'll call that, that's my church, and that's where I can work out all of my problems. I can kind of get rid of like uh, the, the phrases like pain is weakness leaving the body. Have you guys ever <laughs> seen that? That's not, sorry, I, I'm like super strong and I love to go to the gym. And so that's why I know all this stuff. <laughs> that's where the, 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 the idea is that the gym is where we kind of work out all of our problems. And it's where we, get, we, we work our way towards a better self. That's kind of like what's going on Ultimately, at the end of the day, you have religion versus Jesus of, I can work my way, I can get better on my own terms, I don't need this Jesus stuff, right? Because if Jesus is right, it means I'm weak and helpless and I can't help myself. I can't fix myself, I can't make myself better, right? We can all find better ways to do our lives together, but ultimately, at the end of the day, the sole problem that we have of our guilt before God, like this crowd, is either on us or it's on Jesus, that's the point of this passage, right? Jesus bears the guilt, though he's innocent. Or we, as guilty people, say that Jesus should die and that we're innocent. You can't have it either, any other way. And the point of that passage, then, to say we're, we are all, uh, where the people are saying his blood be on us and our children, is to say from now on, Jesus is starting a new people. From this chapter 33 AD or whatever it is, to 2018, Jesus is starting a new people that will either, that, that are built upon this reality that they embrace. I'm a broken person. I'm a sinful person. I'm a needy person who can't help myself. And I'm guilty. I'm guilty. But this innocent man died. This innocent king died in my place. He died for me. Right? On him is all of my guilt. You, at the end of the day, will either bear your guilt or you will see by faith your guilt born and paid for by Jesus. Now, the fourth person that we want to see, we're going to end with this. The fourth category of how to respond to the innocence of Jesus, 
We're going to kind of just jump back to the previous chapter a little bit. We're going to see it in Peter. We can miss Jesus. We can dodge him. We can condemn him. Or we can get him. Right? This is the hope of the passage for us. We can get Jesus. Matthew 26, we have this little situation that happens right before the death of Jesus. 30 to 35, and when they were singing, when they had sung a hymn, and they went to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter, remember Peter? Peter answered him, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Jesus said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. You see, Jesus knew that we are all weak and fickle people who cannot keep our word. Right? We cannot do the best things that we want to do. Jesus knew, Peter, even though you're a loud mouth, macho guy, you yourself are going to deny me. And you're going to deny me three times. Right? It's not just going to be once, and we saw that last week, how Peter denies him three times. But after Jesus dies and pays the penalty for Peter's sins and ours and rises from the dead, there's this little moment in John. Do we have the slides on this? I can't remember if I put this in there. In the, at the end of the book of John, we had this scenario. Pay attention to what the three things that happened here. When they had finished breakfast, right? Even Jesus got hungry when he was raised from the dead. It means that we'll probably eat bacon in heaven. Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. You see, in this little three thing, what happens is that Jesus knows that Peter has denied him. Just like us, Jesus knows that we have, not even as Christians, lived up to what it means to be a follower of Jesus. If you're not a Christian, he knows. You've failed your words. But Peter failed Jesus three times. And Jesus has a way of covering over his sin and empowering him for new life in him and giving him a purpose. Ask him this question three times to say, I, I know what you've done. I know what it cost. I still want to use you. That's, that's the call that Jesus gives to us. When we, when we get his grace, when we see he's not trying to make it even, he took all the penalty on himself. He took all the shame and the guilt that we have in our lives for all the sin and all the things that we've done wrong. He took it on himself so that he can say to us, I know what you've done. I know what it cost. I still want to use you. And there's this, par- there's this, there's this parallel between are you going to choose to be like Judas and get stuck, or you choose to be like Peter and get Jesus and get his grace. You see all these parking signs around the city, um, <clears throat> and some of them are saying, don't park here, right? You see signs that say two-hour parking, 10-hour parking, or whatever, and you say signs that don't park here. When you see Judas' example, don't park in your guilt 
and remorse. Don't park there. Don't set your heart and your soul there where you're just going to get consumed by it all the time and to turn it over all the time. Don't park in remorse and sin and guilt and shame. Take it to Jesus, who graciously forgives all of our wrong and sin and all the things we've done against God. Take it to Jesus where he forgives us freely because don't forget where he is going, right? We are in the next chapter walking up right to the king's throne. He will make his throne of grace where he dies in our place, right? He will die for our guilt and our shame. He will die in our place so that, right, 1 Peter 3.18, Christ died once for sins. An innocent person died for those who are guilty. Christ did this to bring you to God. And this is why we're saying the main point of this passage is that guilty people can come to God because of the innocent death of Jesus and they can come confidently because this is a free, safe community where you can say, I've done, wrong, I've done a whole bunch of wrong stuff and I've made a mess in my life. Well, you know what? We all know that because that, it's the same true for the rest of us because Jesus bears it in front of the whole world. He bears all of your guilt and shame in front of the whole world on the cross so that we as a community can come to each other and say, yeah, I'm a dirtbag and I messed up this week or this has been going on in my life or I want to be made new. And we can come and we don't have to penalize each other because we look to Jesus, who is the innocent king, who died in our place so that guilty people like us can become sons and daughters of the living God. Isn't this so good of Jesus to do? This is our king. Right? This is the last true king that we all need. So why don't we pray? Father, as we come to you, This morning, I pray that you would renew our hearts, that we don't park in our guilt and shame, but that we come to you, that we experience fresh forgiveness of sin, fresh grace and mercy, that we experience your smile upon us, that you renew us and send us into our neighborhood to show the smile and love of God to our friends and neighbors. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.